Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He fought well. Died with honor. He gave me the rifle before. The Busan Kira. The what? The Busan Kira. The Sot warrior way. When one is defeated by a superior foe. He gifts his weapon. I was... I was only doing my duty. It was nothing personal. Yeah, what the Empire did on the sun. I'll never forget it. Welcome to episode 224 of Full of Sith. I am your host, Brian Young. As you can tell, I am not the mic pilot. And uh, I'm here with uh, Holly Ty. Holly, how's it going? It's great. How about you? Uh, I'm doing swell. I uh, I did some things this weekend. and Mike's, Mike's been doing some things, and that's why he's been busy. Uh, what what did, I did a convention this weekend, and I got to do a couple of panels and stuff that we're going to bring to you. And what did you do this weekend? Uh, I went to Cincinnati to go to the current uh, installation of the Star Wars costumes exhibit. So we will talk about that yeah. next week, right? Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about some Forces of Destiny next week. But this week we've got a treat. Um, I was able to do the interview at uh, Salt Lake's Gaming Con with Steve Bloom, who you might know as the voice of Gera Zebarellios. And... Uh, we got to talk about his whole career um, and Star Wars specifically, and it was really cool at the panel. Like there was there was like a Kanan, a Sabine, a Boba Fett, a Hera, and an Ezra all just lined up in the front row. You posted some pictures of them, and they were adorable and looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Steve was Steve was a lot of fun to talk to, and and uh, I'm really glad I had a chance to do it. So so without further ado. Uh, here is that. So, my name is Brian Young. I write for StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider and a bunch of other places about Star Wars, but we're not only going to be talking about Star Wars today. Um, with, uh, I mean, we could, but... <laughs> well, apparently um, there are some Star Wars fans yeah. here, so... Wow. Well, I know all of you. You, you look really cute in person. So, I think to, to start the conversation with you, um, I'm curious about where... You got the uh, the idea where? How did you get into voice acting in the first place? And it was a long time ago. It was three hundred and forty one years ago. Uh, yeah, it was a, a really happy accident. Actually, I was a struggling wannabe musician in the eighties, playing R and B music, opening for a heavy metal uh, band, and so that wasn't going very well, as you can imagine. Um, we had a pretty good following, but we really sucked. And my partner was crazy, and so I was in a constant state of stress every night. Uh, but to support that musical habit, I got a day job working in a mailroom at a film company. 
uh, called Empire Entertainment, and we made movies like Reanimator. Do you guys know Reanimator? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's the company I work for, and I was working in this mailroom, and I happened to have the deepest voice in the mailroom, and, and I was working with a bunch of actors. So we were all just goofing around like you do in a mailroom and uh, doing creature voices and stuff. And the, the head of the mailroom was casting for a Japanimation thing called The Giver and uh, wanted to know if I would come in on the weekend and audition for it. And he offered me free breakfast and lunch, and that's really all I needed to know because I was a starving musician. Uh, so I go into this crazy studio in a treehouse. It was literally in a treehouse. Um, they called it the cave because half of it was in a treehouse and half of it backed up to this hillside that was sort of a carved-out cave. Terrible for recording. Uh, it wasn't soundproof. Nobody knew what they were doing. They didn't know how to lock up picture to sound. We actually, the actors actually had to carry the equipment up into the treehouse because they had to rent it every day. Um, so I walk into the studio and I didn't know what I was doing. I ate my free breakfast and I go up into the studio and uh, he shows me a picture of this creature called a zoonoid ripping the arm off of another creature and beating him with it or something. And he said, what would that sound like? And I looked at the, the monitor and I just went, <laughs> and he goes, okay, you're hired. <laughs> and I went, what? Now I got to work. <laughs> um, so I just had, I had a natural ability to match the lip flaps and the movements of the creature on screen because of my music training. It's, I, I see, language and movement as a musical thing oh i'm sorry i scared the baby i'm so sorry no it's my fault it's my fault um uh so anyway i i see language and movement as sort of a musical thing it all happens in phrases and patterns and i was able to to match the lip flaps really easily uh when some of the other actors who came from stage and screen uh, little uh, struggled with it a little bit because they're used to using their bodies to get the sound out. It just seemed natural to me just to do it vocally. Uh, so they hired me for that role, and I worked 26 episodes on that show, and they ended up giving me the role of the main bad guy, and then I had to learn how to act. And uh, fortunately, they brought in all the actors at the same time, which is a terrible way to record anime uh, because of all the logistics of the technicality of matching the lip flaps and reading the script at the same time it's best to bring in one actor and we're all idiots anyway so you put more than one of us in a room it's crazy um so uh they they gave me the role the main bad guy and i got to watch all of these other actors perform before i would go up to the mic and i would just steal little bits of everything they did i was absorbing all of it like a sponge and it was the most natural form of entertainment i had ever participated in and i just kept doing it for fun for uh almost 15 years on the side stayed at that same film company, became an executive at that film company eventually, uh, 14 years later, and then booked a 7-Eleven commercial. And I thought, all right, this is it. I'm getting out of the film business because everybody's mean there, and I really like the voiceover people. Uh, so I quit my job. I had a six-figure income at the time in a corner office in Hollywood, and I quit my job to go into voice acting full-time and starved for three years. Uh, 7-Eleven didn't pay the bills. God bless them. I love 7-Eleven, and they were really good to me, but it's, it wasn't one of those jobs that would make you rich. So, um, But I kept doing it because I love to do it. I started doing it because I love to do it, and I've continued that. Uh, through all these years at what point in your career did you decide like i'm not a hobbyist i'm an actor <laughs> that didn't happen until many years down the road it was after uh, cowboy bebop and we started doing conventions again i initially started doing conventions uh when i had done a few anime and i was really scared because people hated voice actors at that time uh they they hated anybody that would t dare to touch anime and dub it into english um 
<laughs> so many years after uh, Cowboy Bebop had landed and it started getting a big following in the United States, I was sitting at a panel with Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who is now my girlfriend in real life, the director of Cowboy Bebop, and Julia on the show. My love interest on the Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> 18 years later, we're together. It's crazy. Um, and we were sitting at a panel and I was sitting with a bunch of really great actors and they asked a question about acting and, and what was our big break and when did we know we're, uh, we were truly professional actors. And I sat there and I went, well, I'm not really an actor. Everybody else here is. And, and Mary just goes, well, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. She goes, what do you think you've been doing for over a decade? And I went, well, I- I'm, this is acting. And it didn't even occur to me that voice acting was acting. And, uh, that's when it dawned on me that, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually doing something that, uh, you know, people really want to do for a living. I didn't even consider it a living at that point. So yeah, that, that changed everything for me. And, and the, the thing that gave me purpose as an actor happened in New Zealand several years ago when, uh, this big Maori guy came up to me and just covered in tattoos, this big, huge dude. Uh, terrifying man actually came up to my signing table and he told me the story about his uh, autistic son who up until the age of eight was nonverbal and he would sit and rock in the corner and one day he uh, bolted up to the sofa and started watching something that had come onto TV and he was transfixed and he had never had that reaction before and the father came over to him and asked him what this was about and the little boy looked over at him and up to this point again he was nonverbal he looked over to his dad and goes shh and his dad goes, okay. And the commercial comes on, and in perfect English, he had never uttered an English word before, and he looks at his dad and he goes, I like this, Daddy. And he had all of a sudden this conversation erupted in this uh, family that had never happened before, and something was unlocked in his brain by connecting with uh, my character, Gilmon, in Digimon. Something just lit him up. And he had been having all these thoughts and feelings, and all of a sudden he just opened up and just started talking like, you know, he had he had been talking his whole life and uh this guy's telling me this story and i start crying with him and and uh so me and this giant man are hugging each other it was really awkward and then the next day uh he shows up with the rest of the family and at this point the little boy is now 12 years old and he brings his sister and the mother and i see him like 20 people down in in the autograph line and i just see this guy towering above everybody and i i didn't know why he'd come back and i couldn't see the kids at that point and I just waved at him. And I, I said, hey, uh, and I excused myself and I, I ran down to the end of the line and uh, he introduced the little boy to me. And he said that since that um, awakening in the, in the little kid, he has become a productive member of the family and of society. He hooked him up with otaku groups. He has plenty to talk about now. He felt like he didn't have a place in the world. And he said that's why he didn't speak until that point. He felt like there was nobody else like him. And then he realized that there's this whole worldwide community of people who love the same stuff he does. And at that point, um, we all started sobbing together again. It was really ugly cry. And, and that was the defining moment for me that I realized that what I was doing actually had value in the world when, you know, my dad wanted me to be a doctor before that. So. <laughs> um, do you get that a lot going to conventions? Uh, I mean, not maybe at that level, but I mean, you've been part of some pretty big universes, whether that's Final Fantasy or Marvel or Star Wars. Um, are you finding that that happens, that, that that sort of story happens with more regularity? Uh, almost every day now. Yeah, it's crazy because I, I think I'm just more open to it. I, mm-hmm. I feel like people have probably been telling me 
stories like that. And I, I couldn't really take it in until that day. Um, but it has gotten more frequent. And with the popularity of things like Star Wars, certainly. Uh, there's there's a global community of us misfits that come to conventions and we're all one giant family and we all love each other and lift each other up and we don't ridicule each other for being who we are. Uh, and I, I feel like that, that door has been opened up by this genre and, and by the fact that we all get to come to cons and dress up and you know do crazy stuff. So I want to ask about the difference in working. Uh, you said, like, in anime, sort of the edge you had was being able to... Your, your musician's background. Mm-hmm. But how was that like transitioning to shows like Rebels, where, I mean, you're probably not even seeing any animation and, and actually getting to inhabit a character a little bit? It still applies. Uh, acting is acting. It's it's the same process. Uh, the difference is we just get to use our imaginations a little bit more. Um, I've always seen acting as an organic process, and and whether we've got other actors to work with or not in the booth, we have to be able to imagine what they would sound like on the other side of a conversation. Fortunately, on a show like Rebels, we have the luxury of working as a cast. We all get to work together and we play off of each other's energy. And we're directed by Dave Filoni, who is probably the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever known. He is the biggest geek. It, it, ridiculous. Bigger than Vanessa. N- Ooh. <laughs> That's tough. That that's a tough call, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but you know, we would we would schedule four hour sessions uh, to work on Rebels, and sometimes two hours would be having nerd battles behind the glass about how to pronounce <laughs> the word Melurun. You know, it was it was ridiculous. They they care so much about every single little detail uh, of everything that goes into that show, and Dave is the biggest instigator of all of that. He just wants it to be right, and he wants it to um, have a legacy that will carry on for generations to come i want to talk about the difference between uh your animation work and i since this is gaming con i think we would be remiss to not talk about video games but what's the process like for you like what's the big difference between going in and doing an episode of rebels or dubbing an anime versus a video game uh video games are much more intense word wise uh basically working on something like anime or or an original animated show We've got, you know, if it's a a really busy show, I might have 50 to 100 lines tops. And, you know, we might do each one of those two or three times. In video games, I could have uh, 2,000 lines and have to do those 10 times each in the same amount of time. So the uh, pressure of getting all the work done is much more intense, and we have less context. So uh, coming into something, for example, like Mass Effect, we... I would walk into that booth and they would hand me a stack of paper that thick and they just say, go. And we just start, you know, cramming through the lines as fast as we could. And you have to still maintain the character and the essence of the story. And we relied very heavily on our director to hold the context for us. So it's just a a much faster, more furious process and usually much more stressful on the body and throat because we're, we're, especially if we're doing uh, impacts and reactions and things like that because that stuff really takes a toll. You feel like you've been beaten up afterwards. Taking taking uh, Lucasfilm and Lucas LucasArts as sort of a, th- a thread of evolution, mm-hmm. right? Because you've done a lot of games mm-hmm. for them, starting as far as I can tell in my research with Full Throttle. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, what's the difference in how video games, those initial sort of CD-ROM games, uh, the difference between what those were like versus what video games are like now, as far as a voice actor is concerned? <laughs> Well, from our perspective, it's really the same thing. Um, 
again, acting is acting. We're telling a story, and whether or not the animation can follow, I think the animation, the cinematic value of the storytelling has gotten much better through the years. Uh, But as far as the content goes, uh, and as far as uh, an acting standpoint, it's exactly the same as it was. I just got to work with Chris Brown the other day, who is uh, one of the people involved in the, the old LucasArts days. In fact, I worked with her on Full Throttle. And uh, we were sort of reminiscing back on those days, and she's doing stuff for Blizzard now. And we were talking about how how similar it is and how different it is. And the, the similarities acting-wise are, are almost identical. That really hasn't changed much at all. A good story is a good story. Um, the characters, it seems, uh, that you've been able to have a lot of time with, mm-hmm. um, Wolverine or, or Zeb, mm-hmm. um, which, what character do you think you've spent the most time with, and how do those characters change in your head as you're able to stick with them for longer periods of time? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, Wolverine is Wolverine. He doesn't change too much. He's just an angry bub. You know, he's misunderstood mutant. Um, he was a little more straightforward to me just because he had so much history before I even walked into that booth, and so many people had played his stories before I walked into the booth. So developmentally... It wasn't as much of a challenge for me as a character like Zeb, where we are really creating a brand new life uh, in the Star Wars universe um, with a new species and a whole backstory and and a whole persona. So character development wise, I probably spent a lot more time with Zeb, Um, but Wolverine, I definitely spent a lot of time slashing and, you know, crushing things, so. With uh, Zeb, I mean, what's that like? I mean, you've been a Star Wars fan since 1977. Mm-hmm. What's that like getting handed a piece of Ralph McQuarrie art from <laughs> that you've probably seen a thousand times yeah. and, and them saying, we're, we're going to make this guy a character and you're going to be it. Um, how do you develop that? Well, first you cry like an eight-year-old fangirl. Because <laughs> the, the squee value alone in that, it, was, it, it took a long time for me to get over that. Um, and I'd been working in the Star Wars universe for a while with the, the games before that happened. So I thought that it would be an easier transition if I had booked that role. It wasn't. It was, it was like, oh, my God, I get to play a new character. And it's based on a Ralph McQuarrie design based on the Wookiees. And uh, I still fanboy over that stuff. I have the, the action figure that they made for his original design sitting on my desk. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a, a lot of fanboy stuff happening. And, and uh, it... it the pressure was just sort of on for me to do a good job. I really wanted to do a good job and do honor to not only his memory, but to the next generation of Star Wars fans. So um, I felt a sense of pressure with that, but like with everything, you've got to let that go and just become the character. And Dave was really, really helpful with that. See, he would he would give me so much backstory and information on what they wanted for Zeb that my job was really easy. It was just to realize his vision and... and use my acting ability to do that you've done just about everything like i read not yet prepping for this it was almost intimidating because it was like you've done everything is there ever a time where somebody comes up and says hey i really loved your spot in this and you go i have no recollection of that whatsoever all the time (laughs) especially with video games just because i've i've done so many i've done over 400 video games and i i've played maybe two of them uh, <laughs> the rest are shrink-wrapped in my office. It's so bad. I mean, so many of you guys have come up to me and start talking about things, and I just nod my head and go, yeah, that's cool. I'm really glad you guys enjoy it. I wish I knew what you were talking about. Um, 
we kind of went through that with the Overwatch guys yesterday. It was funny. I, I worked on Overwatch a little bit, and I know nothing about the game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. I'm a bad fan. I'm sorry. There's no such thing as a bad fan. <laughs> You're just at a different level. <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. As far as all the characters that you've been able to play, is there one that you've latched onto the most that's sort of uh, representative of yourself a little bit or someone that's oh. most like you? So, you know, you talk to Billy West, and he's like, well, Fry's pretty much just me at 20. You yeah. Um, Zeb, I'm probably pretty close to Zeb just uh, because he has um, that crazy attitude of just barreling in. <laughs> and that's kind of how I approach a lot of stuff. But he's also got that spiritual side. I, I think my spiritual side is a little more out there than his. He's, he's still connecting with that to some degree. Um, he had forgotten it. He had to push it down. But uh, I connect with him on a lot of levels because of those things. There's so much depth to him. Um, I'd like to think that I'm a badass like Spike, uh, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a little bit of me in each character that I play. And you know, when people come and ask what's my favorite character, I can't really give an accurate answer because I feel like each one is a little snippet of my twisted personality Mm -hmm. um as you're working on all of these these voices for these characters is there are there any that you just wish you could spend more time with that you haven't been able to yeah uh probably all of them all of them yeah because i mean it's entertainment is such a rushed business we always have to slam through stuff so quickly um with the exception of zeb probably i'd like uh a spinoff so that zeb and Callis can have some time together um I felt like our relationship was just blooming and then it just goes away. You know? uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I just, I love some of these characters so much. I'd, I'd love to expand their uh, universe, their backstories and, and whatever is to come. It's never quite enough, especially when you get attached to certain characters. There, there's some characters like um, uh, Green Goblin, for example, from Spectacular Spider-Man. I'm, I love that character, and the show ended before its time, and I, there were so many more things I wanted to do with that character, and I, I just didn't have the opportunity to. Or Jamie from Megas XLR. I felt like that show was just coming into its stride, and then we got cut. Um, it, it happens on so many different shows. Uh, so I get attached, but I can't get so attached that I can't move on. I have to be able to move on, too. Um, are, are, what are the characters that you sort of... Um feel that maybe you're not attached to in the work. I mean, presumably you're, you're probably pretty close to finishing with Zeb as season four is, mm-hmm. has been announced as the last season. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those characters, even, even those you've done from deep in your, your past that kind of the fans keep alive and they keep coming up and talking to you about them? Well, Spike from Cowboy Bebop is probably the number one character that people still talk about. Uh, yeah, I, I love me some Spike. Um, I'm I'm just so happy that that show found its audience. It it was so beautiful to work on, and really our job was not to mess it up because it was so perfect and complete before we even got our hands on it. Uh, so for it to find an audience in America like it had when anime was still a pretty iffy thing back then uh, is is really heartwarming to me, and and also that a new generation is embracing it too. It's it's really great. Plus, I get to live with Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. I mean, she's amazing and. And she kind of taught me how to act in the process of recording that show. So it, it lives on in so many different facets of my life. Do you ever go back and revisit any of those things and, and either uh, watch it as a fan or evaluate your performance and say, man, I've gotten so much better since then? 
<laughs> well, I didn't see, well, Bebop is a great example. I didn't see it until about seven or eight years ago. Uh, I didn't see the show at all. And I saw it out of order. I've never seen the show in order. So uh, I want to go back and watch it. And Mary and I keep threatening to sit down on a weekend and watch it. But there's so many other things to do. And we're both so busy all the time. We haven't gotten to it. Um, I have a laundry list of shows I want to do that with. There's, there's a show called GTO that I recorded years and years ago. And it was mostly ad-libbed because they didn't have a proper script. I was literally writing the ADR script for this thing as I was going in the booth. And everybody says it came out really great. and It was really funny. And I remember it being a fun, funny experience. But I have no idea how that thing actually came together and worked because it was such a crapshoot in the booth. Um, so I'd love to go back and see that. I still haven't seen Roni Kenshin. Uh, again, bad fan. I'm, I'm so bad. You, you lived it, though. You don't have to... I did, yeah. Uh, but I do want to go back and revisit mm-hmm. that. So the, I have a list of, of shows that I want to watch. So when I retire in Hawaii, I'll, I'll put it all on screen and watch it. Do you, um, do you... I mean, do you watch... As a Star Wars fan, do you go back and watch... Or do you watch Rebels as it comes out just to, to see it? I do. And they have screenings for us. So it's nice. We get to go over to uh, Disney Channel, and they've got a nice little uh, screening room there. And we try to do it as a cast. We're all family. We're... We're, we keep in touch with each other wherever we are in the world. Uh, so we like to watch it together. It's fun. And so I, I am up on that show. Um, and I do go back and watch episodes sometimes uh, when I know that I'm going to be doing a panel. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on it right now because I've been traveling so much. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't really have a lot of time to do that. Yeah. Most shows. Um, I would like to open up for questions Absolutely. at some point. We've got a microphone over here if people would like to, to come up and, and do that. Um, if you'd like to go ahead. Okay, fire. Hi. Um, I think it's working. It is. is. Anyways, is there a particular character or a series or anything that you haven't worked on yet that you really just want to get your teeth into? Something you really want to work on? Sailor Moon. No. I, uh... That's always my go-to answer. Sorry. I can't... it's, It's like a Tourette's thing. I'm sorry. Uh... There's so many shows out there that are, are really cool, but the the thing for me is that my friends are already voicing these characters. So uh, for me to even lust after particular characters on these shows would be ridiculous because I'm not going to do it any better than they are. They got hired because they're they're really good at it. Um, there's some shows that I'd, I'd like to work on. I, th- I think it would be <coughs> really fun to um, get on some of the other cartoons that are out there, but I generally concentrate on the shows that I'm working on at the time, I have to put all of my focus there and the auditions that I'm doing every single night. So I put all my attention to that and I just let it go for the most part. Thank you. Thank you. On Rebels, when you've got you and Dee Bradley Baker there, how do they decide who's going to do a monster? (laughs) Well, I think Dee gets first dibs on all the monsters. He's He and Frank Welker are the monster guys. They're the best in the world. I'm kind of (laughs) B-level monster. Uh, and I'm very good with that. I'm okay with that because um, it's hard work. It's doing the monster, the creature stuff is really tough work. And and D studies this stuff. He actually lays on the ground with insects and mimics them. <laughs> and you know he's younger than I am. It's hard for me to get back up again. So <laughs> uh, that's I lo- why his social media feed is all insects. It is. He's yeah. Literally, he's fascinated by that. He's he takes his iPhone and he's got this really cool lens on it, and he gets down there and he takes morning walks every day. And he takes these amazing pictures of insects. He's got a whole library of this stuff. Um, but, yeah, generally, he's the go-to guy for creature stuff, and I'm happy to be his support team. So. Okay. Next question. 
What do you uh, prefer to voice uh, for, heroes or villains? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which do you have more be- fun doing? Because I have a job. Um, I, you know, they're, they're both fun in different ways, and the answer might be different uh, at different hours of the same day, depending on my mood. Uh, sometimes if I'm stuck in L.A. traffic, villains are great because I get to get all that aggression out. Um, but I do like playing heroes, too. I, I, I like to put good out into the world. That's kind of my philosophy anyway. I do that with villains on a sort of an uh, energetic level. You guys may not realize that, but when I'm doing the villains, I always try to fight in purpose there so that there's a balance in the force. Um, so I kind of look at them uh, the same way. There, there's an energy to, to that evil or perceived evil energy uh, that's equal to the good energy. So I, I'm very happy playing either one, honest. And there's a lot of projects where you play both. Right, like uh, there was a like uh, in Rebels, <laughs> like in Rebels. Okay, well, you've got a lot of stormtroopers and Zeb beating up same Absolutely. those same stormtroopers. Yeah, I beat myself all the time. That's crazy. <laughs> um, next question. Stop it. <laughs> uh, my question is, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start out doing voice acting? Well, speaking of D. Bradley Baker, he has a website called I Want to Be a Voice Actor dot com. Uh, the true answer to that is about a four-hour conversation. So. That's the shortcut. D actually wrote this amazing blog, and it started out just as just answering fan questions like this uh, about how you get in, and it turned into like a master class, and it's all free. So I would go there first, and it, it will give you the overview of how the industry actually functions. And a lot of people who are thinking of getting into voice acting don't realize that it is the business of voice acting. And so that will actually lay out how everything actually works. And if you go through everything in there, it might take you about six months. He's got exercises. He's got links to other things. There's a lot of information there. If you go through all of that and you still want to be a voice actor, then he can lead you to the next step, too. And uh, there are a lot of us. I'm starting up a a webinar series uh, in the fall, I think, um, with a brand-new website. I'll I'll talk about it on Twitter when it's ready. Um, But it's going to be entry-level stuff, and then there will be intermediate and master class stuff that's going to be super affordable. A big pet peeve for D&I is that when people are interested in voice acting, they'll take voice voice acting classes from people who have never really done it in the trenches or might have done a commercial or two or something. And maybe they've studied acting and all that's great, but unless you're actually in the trenches doing that work every single day, you can't possibly know how the industry is working today. And I think that's really important to give that information to people who are coming in so they don't waste their time and waste a lot of money. The other issue is that a lot of uh, teachers will charge an enormous amount of money, thousands of dollars, and they'll give you a demo reel at the end of it. And they'll send you off into the world and say you're ready. And you shouldn't do a demo reel until you've been doing this for several years and you've actually got some stuff under your belt. Uh, and they'll prom- or they'll promise you um, a, a job somewhere, which they can't do. Nobody can promise you that. It's, it's kind of up to you. So we're trying to dispel all the myths and, and keep people from getting in trouble financially and emotionally in this process because it is the entertainment business, and it's rough. But we can help guide you through that. So I would start there. It's a really great free place to start. It won't cost you anything. Thank you. On, on the subject of sort of... Uh uh, teaching or, or whatever, there's a lot of technical skill in what you're doing as far as how you're manipulating your voice or what you're doing as far as accents. Um, could you just give us a taste of sort of the process of actually finding Zeb's voice? Because uh, I was reading, you kind of started him out with a Cockney accent. How did you how did you initially come up with the voice and come come up with what we we see on screen? Well, 
for some characters, they'll actually give you a basic idea of what they're looking for dialect-wise. For Zeb, there really wasn't that much information. They, they gave me a body type. They showed me a rough picture of him and a description, but I, uh, the picture wasn't even accurate because they, they didn't want to give away that it was Star Wars. It was called something completely different at the time. It wasn't called Zeb. It was something completely different. And, but they gave me the basic body type and, and that he sort of had simian-like movements and prehensile feet and that sort of thing. And uh, they, they said that they wanted something that's a little bit otherworldly but sort of recognizable. So the first thing, I go by instinct, and the first thing that popped into my head was a heavy Cockney accent. And it was, it was too difficult to understand because it was a bit mushy mouth. And, and I uh, pronounced it with the, the Cockney Fs on the, for the THs and stuff. Um, and it, it wouldn't read in animation. So we had to finesse it a little bit. I walked in with that. That's, that's the audition that got me the callbacks. Um, went into the booth with Dave and the team, and they said, yeah, we, we like that, but we want to try a bunch of different things. So we tried Eastern European, and we tried German and French, and uh, went through every dialect that I knew pretty much. Um, and then we landed on this, basically, it's just a bad UK accent with a little bit of Australian sprinkled in. Um, but it felt it felt somewhat uh, familiar, but also not quite recognizable as a as a particular dialect, and um, and I think that that's what they were going for in this. But but knowing dialects technically mm. is certainly an advantage in your toolbox of voice acting. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, here's here's kind of a funny thing that happened recently. I was taking a dialect class because I wanted. I'm always trying to learn, uh, and I've always done it by ear. I've never really studied dialects, so. I studied with uh, Eliza Jane Schneider, who's an amazing dialect coach. She actually has an online dialect uh, series of classes now, if you guys are interested in looking that up. And she's traveled all over the country and all over the world recording native speakers. And I took this course with her, and I, I learned how to do some of these dialects properly. I walk into the studio to try one out. I walked into a studio to do an Irish accent, and uh, they said, no, that's too authentic. And I went, What? And they said, no, we want something that's more like the Lucky Charms guy. And I went, what? Oh, come on. I just put all this work in. So it's, it's great to have that foundation, but you have to be able to vary that up also to basically be a, a crappy American version of a European accent, which is what we're all used to listening to these days. So next question. Yep. All right. Okay. So we've, we've seen... Um, Mary McGlynn on uh, the D&D show Critical Role. Yes. Um, and you were there for like one or two of the episodes. Lurking in the background, yes. Yes, lurking in the background. <laughs> Too afraid to go on camera. <laughs> um, what was it like watching uh, watching the your voice, fellow voice actors play Dungeons and & Dragons and how long is it going to be until Mary pulls you into the, the game? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> it was amazing watching them play. They're all my friends. I know everybody on the show. We've all worked together as voice actors. We're, we're very close. We're like another dysfunctional family. Uh, so I came on just to hang out. Um, Mary gets absorbed very deeply into things she's passionate about, and she dove in right down the rabbit hole and just started studying the monster manual and everything from the very beginning. I'm really lazy. So a uh, part of that causes some fear for me when I'm going up against 17th level D and D players. <laughs> 
And I feel like either I'm going to die instantly or I'm going to do something really stupid and do a TPK. And I don't, I don't want to be responsible for killing all my friends who've been playing this for six years. So, uh, but I did see John Heater go on uh, a couple of weeks ago from Napoleon Dynamite, and he had never played before. And I saw him at a con last week, and I just asked him how that went. He goes, oh, dude, it was really fun. He goes, I didn't know what I was doing. Just do it. So if he can do it, maybe I can do it. We, we started our own home game. We've got this really crazy home game going now, and uh, I'm at fourth level. I'm just learning. I, I still the one with uh, Brian Wayne Foster? And, yes. Okay. Yeah, Foster's in there. Logic, uh, the rapper, is, is in there with us. And Jane Muro, who wrote Forces of Destiny, the new uh, Star Wars show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Jen is, is great. Um, and she's, she's played some D&D before, so, but she's very analytical about it. Everybody's got their different way of being in there. And Mary's just an animal in there. She's crazy. She's just wild sorcerer, lunatic, who grows beards of feathers. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really fun group. Uh, Will Friedle from Boy Meets World and Shiloh Strong. We've got a he really... Was, he was Terry McGinnis from Batman Beyond. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've got a... It's a really great eclectic group of people. So it, we're, we haven't put cameras on it yet, but we will pretty soon. We're developing our characters now, and, and I think we're going to put some cameras on that pretty soon. If we can get everybody in the same room at the same time, it's tough because Will is off doing things, and Jen is writing a new show, and, and Logic just started his new tour last night here in town. Uh, so he won't be back in town till the fall probably. So our game is really hard to keep together right now, but we're trying. All right, thank you so much. Sure. Sorry, I'm still shaking from yesterday's conversation, but I know we talked about this a little bit, but we didn't actually go in depth. How, and from your conversation towards Wolverine, it sounds like you do study the roles before you go in. So how do you feel that TF Prime Starscream compares to other Starscreams throughout the series? Oh, he's so much better. <laughs> no, he's, that's what he would say. Um, it, that, that was an interesting one for me. I was really nervous to walk into those shoes uh, just because I knew about all the great voice actors who had played him before, um, many of which are my friends. Uh, so I, I did take a look at what they had done before. At the time that I booked the role of Starscream, Charlie Adler was playing him in the movies, still does. And Charlie is a dear friend of mine, and I just couldn't understand why they didn't hire him because at that point he was my Starscream. Uh, he was busy. There was some, I don't know, some other stuff going on. And he said, no, take the role, make a million dollars, which I didn't. But uh, <laughs> he goes, have fun with it. And um, when I auditioned for the thing, they wanted something different than what had been done before. They liked the depth and the terrifying uh, nature of Charlie's version of it. But they also wanted him to be able to go into the Chris Lotta version where, you know, he did the, the girly screams and stuff. Uh, they, they wanted all of that, and they wanted a little bit of the comedy that Tom Kenny had put into it. Uh, so I, I, they basically just said, do what you want to do, and we'll, we'll tweak it from there. So my natural incl- inclination was to start him dark and ramp him up and make him fussy and ridiculous, but he could also kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so it, was, it was an interesting developmental process with him. That's a good example of a character that took some developing also. Um, we started him very dark, and then eventually they wanted him when they wanted him to go into the girly scream land. They actually had a signal for me where all the suits from Hasbro, and it was uncommon for people from the, the big studio to show up at recording sessions. In this case, a lot of the executives from Hasbro Studios would show up at our sessions, and we'd have 15, 20 people in the booth on the other side of the glass. And they're all very stoic, sitting behind the glass, looking at me and judging me. And 
But when they wanted Starscream to go into the high-pitched girly scream, everybody in the room would stand up and give me jazz hands. (laughs) I had never experienced that before, so it made it super fun. It was those sessions were some of the most fun I've ever had. It was it was awesome. If it counts for much, you kind of had a better representation of comic books. Starscream. I know you haven't actually read them from what it sounds like. More than me, no. I was not touched by you. But I just personally feel you did a better, I don't want to say better, because I love the other representations of Starscream, but you went back to the comics in your roots is what it feels like. That's awesome, and I can't take credit for that. That's the writers, really. The... You still just did a, I'm just saying you did a good job. Oh, well, thank you. I, that I'll take in. Thank you very much. But the great thing is that a lot of the writers and the people involved in Transformers Prime worked on G1. And they're huge Transformers nuts. So those guys really paid attention to all the details, and, and they took it from a fan perspective. They really wanted it to be accurate. So thank you for saying that. Wow. Yeah. Love happens at conventions, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am your Cupid. I'm very happy to do that. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Um, do you find that there's a different feel or like familiarity with a video game character that's like in a game that has a very obvious beginning and end compared to something like Guild Wars 2 where you're playing Ritlock for like six years and <laughs> they have living world coming out all the time and stuff like that? Is it different from my perspective? Yeah. Like, mm. Do you feel like you're more familiar with characters that you are going to be with for years and years or does it not make much of a difference? It depends on the writing really again it, how um, how the characters are fleshed out because sometimes I'll play a character for years and years and years and there's no development at all something like Ritlock there is he's gone through a, a long yeah. story so yeah in, in that case there would be a, a different relationship with the character but sometimes if the writing is good enough they can create an entire story for a character in ten lines and I feel like it's complete enough so you really get a sense of who that character is. And it's my job to really flesh that out. So I, I, whether they have 10 lines or they've got 10 seasons, I'm going to look at it the same way. I'm going to try to put everything I have in there to, to really breathe life into it. Uh, thanks. Um, thanks ask, for playing. Asking about that, uh, as far as Zeb goes, how do you think uh, Zeb has changed from the beginning to, well, what we know about at the end of Thrawn's decimation of Chopper Base? Mm. Uh, well, Zeb started out as just the brute force behind the group. I mean, uh, I think that people perceived him, and that's the way they'd intended, that he was basically just this mountain of a creature who just busted through stuff and really didn't think about things. <laughs> he relied on you know other people to do that. Uh, but he's developed into this thoughtful uh, participant in this family, too. We weren't sure if he was really going to be anything more than just a, you know, kind of a bullying big brother. But as it turns out, he's he's got a big heart. He's got a spiritual side. He's he is an integral part of the family, and he's got a, a history of pain and and rediscovery that I wasn't expecting. I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so he feels like a much more complete being to me now. He he's a, a multi-dimensional character, like all of us. He he feels very. Uh, it's a weird word to use, but human to me. Next question, Sabine. Nice to see you. You always were one of my favorites. <laughs> Love how you blow stuff up. It's epic, right? <laughs> I, I really like 
like the jetpack. Yeah, got one that's the thing I haven't got. They haven't found one big enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can just ride Chopper. <laughs> I don't want to give him that much confidence. <laughs> um, so for the spinoff with uh, Zeb and Callus, they're like kind of more about their relationship. Right. Um, if that spinoff were to happen, um, what other Star Wars characters or even non-Star Wars characters would come into play, like, throughout the season. Well, we'd have some really messed up children together, that I know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I have a feeling there'd be more creatures, just because I tend to like hanging out with them. Uh, we'd probably have to get a droid of our own. You know, it's cho- I can't stand Chopper. You know, I, I tolerate him. He's like the cat in the room that won't listen to anything. I'm the one who always has to clean up after him, so that, that won't work at all. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like the callous and uh, yeah. the callous and Zeb version of Millicent, something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you want him to cut his hair again or keep the hot callus? Oh no, he's got to be hot callus. Yeah, <laughs> I love that little thing. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that weird how that evolved? <laughs> it was. Just a random choice that Dave made stylistically, and it's turned into like this whole thing now. Dallas has his own fan club. I blame Tracy Canobio. It's all Tracy's fault. All of it is Tracy's <laughs> fault. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know her very well, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. We've got about five minutes left, so let's try to buzz through the rest of these. Hilarious. Hey, Hi. Thanks for coming. Uh, so, in your opinion, from when you started to present, what's changed in the industry? For you. Oh, man. Uh, I work a lot harder just because I'm working more. Um, the industry has, uh, wow, so, so much. Is, that's such a huge question. Uh, Sorry. If you're talking about anime specifically, because that's where I began, anime has now really come into its own uh, worldwide, um, where it was, it was much more segmented into you know the otaku groups, and people yeah. would fight over that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more acceptance for that genre in general, and I, I like to see how these cons have evolved, too. This was a gaming con when it started three years ago, and now it's branching off into all kinds of stuff. You wouldn't have seen a lot of these characters at this con three years ago, so even in three years, there's been an evolution. Um, I just like that it's reaching out to a much bigger audience and that people are actually talking uh, between fandoms. And uh, Logic and I talk about this all the time. He's, he lives in the rap world, and he's a big old geek. He's a yeah. gamer, and he's a big anime fan. And we did this uh, convention in New York a, a couple of years ago, New York Comic Con. And half the room were straight-up Logic fans and, and rap, rap fans, and the other half were anime fans. And then they started talking, and they, the anime fans were going, well, you know what, I've always liked rap. And the, and the hardcore rappers are going, you know what, I've never been able to talk about my anime obsession with any of my friends so I'm so happy to be here and it was it was like the old chocolate and peanut butter commercials where they're, they're mixing so it's it's all these fan groups I think that's the biggest difference that I've noticed that, that people are willing to have these conversations with each other and really talk about the things they love without fear anymore and that's a great thing and, and there's so much uh, more of a sense that we're all included in this fandom you know you don't have to be afraid anymore just stand up and declare what you love it's awesome thanks man Next question. Uh, so mine's just mine's just a small one. Um, I was just wondering because um, you played Vincent Valentine. Yes. Um, 
love Vincent Valentine. I was wondering if you were given the option, are you considering retaking that role for the remake of Final Fantasy VII? Was... If I could find a phone, I'd be waiting for the call. Um, yes, I, I made it very public that I am ready, willing, and able to work on that if they'll hire me. I don't know where they're going to be doing it or if I'm going to be included, but I'm, I'm available. I'm waiting for that phone call. I've been sheltered for a while, so I'm like, I don't know if you did or not. No, I haven't gotten the phone call, so I don't know. I, it could have been recorded by now. I, I have no idea. If they're doing it at Funimation, I probably won't be part of it, uh, just because they're in Texas and I'm in L.A., and there's probably a bunch of guys that have figured out how to do my voice now. <laughs> I, I would love to do it. I'm available, and I will, I, will, I will do it. If they ask me, I will do it, but um, they haven't asked. Not up, not up to me. <laughs> I'm just a voice monkey. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. All right. So you've had a very long, successful, buried uh, career in voice acting. And my question is, uh, is there anything that you haven't had the chance to do yet or something that you'd like to do more of uh, with your life? Uh, in terms of acting or, in, or anything? Uh, anything. I mean, well, well, for both. Uh, for, for acting, I'd like to do more feature films. Uh, I got to do Box Trolls a couple of years ago, and that was an amazing experience. I, I love working on feature films. That would be really fun. I'd love to do uh, more big feature films, like the big CG animated things. That, that would be fun for me to just to try that out and, and work with a different kind of cast in a different format. Um, in terms of everything else, uh, I'm sort of uh, getting back into music a little bit. Uh, I haven't really played in like two decades or almost three decades now. Um, but in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be playing at a, Mary and I are going to Italy and we're playing at a friend's wedding. So I have to pick up the guitar and get my calluses back and learn how to sing again. So it's a big challenge for me to do that. Uh, so I, I'd love to get back into music in in some way. Um, and maybe more writing. I used to do a lot of writing. Um, but to do that, I have to have the free time. And right now I don't, I'm traveling. I'm in a different city almost every week and I'm thankfully working on a lot of voiceover projects too. Um, but I have some other interesting things that I'm getting into, and I'm actually working in the music industry as a voice actor. I did uh, a little bit of work on two of Logic's albums, and now I'm uh, going to be work. I just recorded for a new album for one of my favorite jazz artists in the world who will be announcing pretty soon. Um, so that, I don't know how that happened, but that's kind of a cool thing that I've never done before. So other than that, just go out. I just want to go outside more. And <laughs> that's my big goal. Go outside. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm trying to I'm trying to be a writer too and cool. It's really hard. <laughs> it is really hard. Just keep doing it. And you know, if you get blocks, just keep writing anyway. Just just let it flow. You know, find your find your place of peace and just do it cuz you love to do it. Even if it feels like it's coming out crappy, write it anyway. And you might find a little gem in the middle of that that you can use for something else. It might create a whole spark for a new story. So, yeah, don't give up on that. If that's something you love to do, just do it. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hopefully I'll voice some of your stuff one day. <laughs> now we've got time for our last question. No pressure. <laughs> um, so I was first introduced to you as your Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero. Oh, yeah? Um, but I love the movie Box Trolls and was just curious what drew you to play that role in particular. It just seems 
di very different from what you normally do, and you did such a great job. So what drew you towards that feature film in particular? Uh, because they hired me. Um, <laughs> I, I think I auditioned for it. Um, D. Bradley Baker was already working with these guys and helping to develop the basic voice print for the box trolls. And uh, they brought me on board at, at one point, and then Dee and I sat together, and we kind of figured out uh, interchange uh, between the characters and uh, sort of d developed the new language um, with keywords and things that weren't really necessarily intelligible to anybody else but us, right. <laughs> but we didn't care. Um, but I've always loved playing with voices like that, so uh, just to get to do something like that was so different than most of the other characters I had done, especially because it was nonverbal. Uh, I do that kind of stuff in my car all the time when nobody's looking. So, you know, getting to sit in a room and play with a puppet, and they would let us hold the, the actual characters while we were working with them just to give us a little inspiration. And, uh, you know, we just got to go and be stupid for a couple hours at a time. And it was, it was super fun. So we... Uh, we we just they picked characters for us that they thought we might be right for, and we did twenty thousand different permutations of them and different versions of the language. Um, I actually played three characters on that. Uh, Sparky was the one that made it in. The guy who's always electrocuting himself. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And there was another one called Show who didn't make it into the movie, but he was amazing. I think it was just too expensive to animate, but he was he had like a puppet show in his chest. And so all these other little trolls dancing around in his chest while he was talking, and you couldn't really tell how they were being manipulated. It was it was awesome. It was, um, I don't even remember what voice I did for that, but for me that was just playtime. We had such a great time, and we weren't bound by dialogue. We were bound mostly just by the emotion of the scene, and that was really fun. It was all improv in that sense. And the director actually sat in the room with us, which isn't very common usually that they're on the other side of the glass. So. Um, it was a, a super collaborative process, and they even invited me to the studio in Portland so I could see how everything was handmade. Uh, it was amazing. I've never worked on a project where they included me to that extent, so I'm just lucky to have worked on it. I love everybody at Leica, too. I hope I get to do something else with them. You did a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for uh, taking the time to come here and talk to us about, about all of your, your varied career uh, moments. Well, thank you. That was super fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you again, man. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. So uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff in there. I, I think, you know, it was really interesting to find out. It sounds like they're pretty close to Delma season four yeah. uh, of Rebels as far as he's concerned, which is sad on one end. Yeah. There's this part of me that goes, oh, it really is going to be ending, but I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I really loved too. Uh, he uh, he's aware of the hot callus thing, and yeah. I loved I loved when he talked about callus and Zeb going off on an island together and needing a cat like Millicent. Oh, so sweet! Who doesn't need a yeah cat like Millicent? So hopefully, like maybe we can have a contest to name Zeb and Callus's cat like Millicent, and maybe we can make that a thing. Maybe we should ask Pablo. Uh, I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> okay, I'll ask Pablo what Callus and Zeb's cat's name is. And if it's an orange tabby or if it's something else, would it be like a purple loath cat? So it's like a little bit like Zeb. Or is it like a loath cat that's purple with chops? So it's kind of like the best of both of them. 
I would love a purple loath cat so much I co- almost can't deal with it as a concept. Yeah. Just FYI. <laughs> but uh but no, that was that was a lot of fun and he's he's such a fun and humble like gracious guy and his voice is really cool and uh I think the audience had a really great time too and I certainly had a great time doing it. Yeah, you're very lucky. You get to do lots yeah. of cool stuff. So I'm well, glad you did it cuz we all get to end up enjoying it as well. Yeah. So, uh, Holly, yeah, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Surliest Girl, and you can find my day job podcast activities at uh, uh, Stuff You Missed in History class at MissedInHistory.com. And from there, you can springboard to all of our social media, which is pretty much Missed in History across the board. Uh, and then I also do a podcast with you, which like is a whole a other fo- one, which is Fothentic History, which is like that other one, but fake. Yeah. We take, um, we take fictional history very seriously. Yeah. So the episode we just released was about uh, Captain Nemo. Yeah. Not is... N- Little Nemo in Slumberland, but Captain Nemo. Right. Not. Uh, it does not involve Dory in any way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just Nemo. There's a, there's a lot of Nemos in pop culture. You there just gotta be really clear. are. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then uh, you can find me at Swankmatron on Twitter. Uh. I would really love it if you tried out my Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash swankmatron. Once we get 50 people on there, everybody's going to get a free copy of my first book, Lost at the Con. And if you want, it can be the audio version so you can have me read it to you. So that's like worth the cost of admission right there. There you go. Um, so there's that. And then you can find my writings on starwars.com and Star Wars, uh places. And I, I'm writing for... I'm covering Star Wars news a little bit more than I have been recently for BigShinyRobot.com, and uh, you can see some of my stuff coming up on HowStuffWorks.com. That sounds grand. Yep. So for those of you who want to get a hold of us at Full of Sith, you can email us at holocron at fullofsith.com. You can send us a voicemail on the SpeakPipe app. Uh, using our website, which is fullofsith.com. And we would absolutely, you know, we're on Twitter. We've got the Facebook group. And all you have to do is just, it's all full of Sith. Um, So we'd love to see you in any of those places and all of those places. And uh, yeah, get a hold of us. We love the feedback. And and feel free to review us on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you get the podcast. Um, So unless there's anything you've got, Holly. Nope, I think we're good. uh, For Holly Fry. For Mike Pilot, who is sadly not with us this evening, uh, I'm Brian Young, and the Force will be with you, always. If you're not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.